he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. I love that. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the elders, one of the elders here at the church. Um, happy to be here this morning for a couple of reasons. One, like, and we were talking about this in the green room uh, this morning. Like, this is our family. Remember, this is our family. This is God's family. And so it's not this group of strangers. We're gathered here to worship, to learn together. So thankful for that. Also thankful to be a part of the teaching team here at Barron Center Bible Church. And so that said, I feel that it would be important that I give you a little background on myself. It'll give a little context to what I'm going to be going through today. And so we had a bit of an issue with the first service. And so it has to do with this first slide. Um, it's a bit edgy, okay? And so I know we're in a church, so I'm giving you your fair warning now. And so if you have sensitive eyes, I'd, I just would advise you maybe, maybe just turn your head a little bit, squint your eyes a little bit. We had a gentleman sitting here in the front row. He, he had a particular problem with this first slide. I think that's why he left. I'm not sure. He's from Georgia, by the way, too, so that may have clue us in. So I'm going to show you this slide. So you ready? Okay. All right. Ready? Boom. <laughs> there, I was waiting for the boo. Like, we didn't get any boos first service, but we had somebody that left. So, <laughs> so needless to say, yes, that is winter. And I've heard, I've heard a rumor. <laughs> See, it's not bad. Winter's okay. Just hold on. So, I've heard there's a little polar vortex, and it's going to be shifting down, and I don't think it's going to be anything of this, you know, kind of proportion, but this picture, um, I'm, I'm a landscaper, okay, by trade, and that's my day job, and I've been doing it a long time. I started out when I was 15 years old, uh, working for Scott and Peg Borman, she usually sits over there by that post, but... Um, 15 years old, so that's a couple of years that I've been doing this. And in the process, Peg encouraged me, you know, you, you seem to have an aptitude for this. Why don't you go to school, take some classes, kind of move, move up in this. And so attended Andrews University. I have a degree in horticulture from Andrews University. Moved on to Michigan State. I have a, I'm, I have a degree in soil science. Um, and all that said, just to say that I spent a lot of years in school. I probably could have been almost a doctor and I play in the dirt for a living. And so, but I love it. And I love it because it's outside. I love it because it's outside, except on these days. And some of us landscapers, we have devolved to a certain degree, if that's even a word. We've devolved into this demented state, and it's for good reason. It's, it's, it's for good reason. We, we like our bank accounts to have something in them. We like to keep the electricity on. But we've devolved to this demented state where we've invented this whole other industry called snow and ice management. And so this is a picture out of the windshield of my truck from last January. I know there's a few of you that probably have similar visions um, and, and occupations in here. But this is a picture I took, and you could tell it was cold that day. It, the, the drifts are piled up on the one side against the doors. And this is, this is um, one of the customers that's on my route. 
And so I take care of this. I have several of these storage units that I plow myself as a part of the team. And I want to tell you that storage units are trouble. All plowing can be trouble, for that matter. But storage units, these owners and these developers of these storage units, they have this one thing in mind, and it's probably for good reason, too. It's called profit. And they like to pack as many of these units into as tight a spot as possible so that they can bring in additional revenue. And then they surround it by a fence for security. And I understand they have their reasons, but the problem is they don't think and they don't care about me at all. <laughs> they have no feeling for the guy that shows up and says, where am I going to push all that snow? Because you can't push it against, the customers don't like it when it's shoved up against the garage doors. And, and the fences are all around, and the owners don't like when you push their fence over. And so there's no thought that goes into what's going to happen in the wintertime. So that's, I, I really expected a few more boos than that, but I'm getting off track. So we're going to get into Romans chapter 12. We've been parked there for a little while, so open that up. We've been here for a few weeks. We're going to continue to be in Romans 12 for a few more. And today, let's start off in verse 1. But let's back up, give you some context here. In my study this week, and as I prepared for this message, I realized that Paul has, he's pretty predictable in some ways. And so who's Paul? We know Paul, he was Saul, he had an interaction with a guy named Jesus, right? It was a miraculous interaction, and he came to know him in a way that changed the mission of his life. And so as Paul was on mission for Jesus, he had some patterns to his life. One of those patterns was his writings, his messages. And Paul always had, and if you, it, it kind of is illustrated, this is a slide we've used for this series, Paul's, Paul's structure of his message was a big dose of truth. And so we see that in Romans 1 through 3, what's wrong with us? 5 through 8, how does God save us? 9 through 11. Why does God save us? Why does he put the energy and the effort into that? And that's that pile of truth that Paul has presented to us. But he always has at some point in his messages, he has a therefore. And so we're parked in Romans, Romans 12, and Romans 12 is that therefore. So if we look at verse 1 in the NLT, and so, dear brothers and sisters, the and so, there's the therefore, there's the therefore. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. If we go to the NIV, there you see it. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, dear brothers and sisters. So he's following the same pattern, dose of truth, therefore. Now what are you going to do with it? How are you going to live your life? And although we're not working through the entire book of Romans, if you have not, it is a really cool place to spend some time. It's a really cool... I mean, I spent the last couple of weeks just in chapter 12, verse 12. And it, it, there's, there's a lot in there, so I would encourage you to do that. Today, Romans 12, 12. Let's read it. Rejoice in our confident hope. 
Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Short verse. There's a lot in there. We're going to unpack it. But as we, as we think of what it means to really follow Jesus, to really live as Christians, this verse gives us three specific ways a Christian respond to life's challenges. Challenges like snowdrifts. And when these occur for us, what should our attitude be? Right? If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, instead of worry and fear, we should be filled with these three things. So let's, we'll spend a little time. So let's zoom in. The first sentence there, rejoice in our confident hope. So, Ryan, I'm glad you're here today. So I'm going to call you. No, I'm not. <laughs> he wasn't prepared. I went back to the Greek. So Ryan gave me this. I want you guys to have this, this little tool here. There's, there's this thing called the Blue Letter Bible, and it's amazing. And you just type in the verse you're at, and there's all kinds of tools and ways that you can, you can just glean all kinds of information. You can go back to the Greek. You can go back to all over the place, and it'll tie in into other places in the Bible. And so if we look at this, we're going to meditate on this first sentence. But I want to pick out two words, two words in that first sentence, the first one being rejoice. And so we're going to, the Greek, and Pastor Dan gave us a little tutorial in Greek last week. So rejoice, if we go back to the Greek, hairo. You say it with me? Hairo, okay. But then we're going to go even further. We're going to go to the root word, hara. Hara. And so with that, where else can we find that that can give us kind of a context to what Paul is saying when he's saying rejoice, okay? And so I'm going to go to Matthew 2, verse 10, where I find it, when they saw the star... They were filled with what? Joy. Okay? So there's that hara. And so what, what Paul is saying here is he's not saying, just put a smile on your face. I know it's hard, but just put a smile on. There's times when, I know I've done it. I did a little bit this morning, coming in under a little tension. How you doing, Mike? Great. I'm great. And I know we do that from time to time. And so Paul's not saying, just put on a smile. What is he saying? He's asking us to be excited, right? He's asking us to be joyful. He's asking us to rejoice. But why should we be joyful? Where does that joy come from? So that leads us to hope. So let's play that game again. Let's take it back to the Greek. But let's first... Jumping ahead in my slides. Merriam-Webster defines hope as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. And I'll repeat that again. Desire within us that's accompanied by the belief in fulfillment of that desire. So if we go now to the Greek, el peace, el peace. And so el peace, where is that found? So if we look... So we're back to our friend Paul. Paul is now in Rome. I'll give you a little context here. He's just arrived in Rome. He's only been there a couple days. But true to his pattern, he seeks out the Jewish leaders in that city. And he asks them to come and meet with him. He says, will you come sit down with me? And, and they're like, we have not heard of Paul. We have not heard why he is here. We have received no word back from Judea. And so as they sit down, in verse 20, I ask you to come here today so we could get acquainted, 
and so that I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. The Messiah. So, there it is again. El peace. Paul uses the word hope in this message to these Jewish leaders to describe something far beyond the simple hope that maybe you as a child have at Christmas or a birthday party. Hoping, I hope I get that present. I hope I get that gift. I hope, I hope. It's far beyond maybe what a student, the hope a student would have that's been preparing for a test. I hope I pass that test. I hope I get that grade. It's far beyond maybe that same student as prom or some dance or some Friday night is approaching and they hope that that boy or that girl notices them. I hope I have a date. Or maybe as adults, where we put some sort of simple hope into a job, a child, or some other financial situation. No, the hope that he speaks of is the hope of all Israel, the Messiah, the hope of young and old, the promised deliverer of the Jewish people. And although they didn't, yet, they didn't believe at that time he had come, they still had been waiting and waiting and waiting. So this is a hope that Paul is saying, this is, this is big. This is big. Be patient in trouble. Be patient in trouble. But in the Greek, if you look at it, it's not just patience. There's another word that's used there. The other word is perseverance. And when I hear the word perseverance, when I, when I put patience over here and I put perseverance on this end, there's a weight. There's a weightiness to perseverance. You know, because some of you, and I'm going to look around, I'll pick on anyone, I promise, yet. Some of you can be patient as you wait in line at the grocery store. Or we can be patient as we're in traffic on our way home from work. Or maybe we can be patient as we wait for our boyfriend to propose. But let's take an, let me give you another example, maybe just rephrase it a little bit. Two people, okay? Think of two people. One person, he's over here, he has committed, he or she, has committed a crime. They went on trail, they've been convicted of that crime. They've been sentenced for that crime, and they patiently serve that sentence out. There's no attaboy there. There's no attaboy. They're, they're merely paying the debt for the crime they have committed. Second person didn't commit a crime, but somehow, through some event, was convicted of a crime, was sentenced to prison, and now sits and perseveres through serving that sentence. There's a little more weight there. There's a little more weight there. It's a whole nother level. Paul is asking us to be patient, to persevere through the troubles of this life. The, the next next point I want to bring up 
as we're persevering through this trouble. It reminds me of the book of First Peter, and more, more so the book, or the chapter 1, verse 1. And I love, I love First Peter. I think it's mainly because of just chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll pull it up here. So Peter writes, and this is a simple greeting. This isn't even in, he's not even into depth or meat or anything, but as I read verse 1 here, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus, apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Martin Jones shared with me, there's another word he used there, sojourners. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I love that word foreigner. I love it. And why do I love it? Because, and, and I didn't Google it, but I'm sure there's a list somewhere that states that, there, that that's not PC to use the word foreigner anymore. If I called you a foreigner, you might take it in a derogatory sense. But Peter's writing here to his friends who he knows are spread all across the world and who he knows are living as foreigners. They're living in a place that they don't want to be. They're living in a world that is, does not make sense. But he calls them foreigners, and it's like this undercover attaboy. And I think that's really kind of cool. Living as Christians, we know that this earth is not our home. Be patient in trouble. Persevere as you live as foreigners. And keep on praying. One cry's coming next week. All revivals, any revival in the history started with just personal revival and personal prayer. Keep on praying. If we go in the NLT, keep on praying. The NIV, faithful. The ESV, constant. And it has to be devoted to prayer. Keep on praying. Be faithful, constant, and devoted. Keep on praying. And this is important because I think as we've gone through this morning and we've kind of, I've brought you hopefully along a little bit, we've broken down this verse, which is only 12 words, by the way. It's a small, small verse. But we've broken it down, down to the words, down to the Greek, down to the bits and pieces, but as we study, we need to be looking at, okay, but how are these all tied together? What is the link that brings it back together? And I think keep on praying is that link. But why would keeping on in praying be necessary? Why? If we truly believe that we are secure in our salvation, why do we need to keep on in prayer? It is true that our hope is a secure anchor for our souls, right, from Hebrews but through the troubles we face in this world, we can begin to get drifted in, right? We can begin to just plow through life. And pretty soon, off to the left and off to the right and in front of us, we're boxed in. And without a lifeline, prayer, we lose connection to truth, Jesus, and we begin to hear 
and we begin to be surrounded by the lives and the narrative of the lost. This week, Monday morning actually, so as I was preparing, woke up Monday morning. I don't think I was awake yet. My eyes weren't open, so I don't know when that officially happens. But the first conscious thought that came to my head was this. I saw this verse, but I didn't see the whole thing. All I saw was rejoice in our, and it was highlighted, confident hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. Mike, don't forget our confident hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. We have a confident hope that's beyond a hope in something temporary. It's a confident hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. This whole series is based on the one question, what is a Christian life? We should go beyond the hope of the day-to-day and eternal hope. So I draw on that. I draw on that in tough times. We have a perspective that this is not the way it was intended. This is not the way it will always be. But through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, we can live in confident hope. Amen? Amen. First service I came in, I didn't know how this was going to end fully. But it went pretty well, so we're going to roll with that way but it's going to require a little participation. I showed this picture at the beginning, right? Besides giving you maybe a little insight into my world, it teaches something about hope. When, when I go out on a route, when a snow event occurs, and it's time for me to go out. Most of those times, it starts between midnight and 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not looking for sympathy. It's my profession. I've chosen. And usually that first time, it's okay. But when the day lasts to 17, 20, 22 hours, and it keeps snowing, that's when things start to go awry. And I might be labeled a little cranky. Most days, most days, if it's done right, snow plowing isn't life or death. But I honestly want to be, I want to be transparent with you. My wife can testify to this. This view is where I lose hope. And so when you start to see the snowflakes fly this winter, just as a church, I'm asking, will you pray for me? Will you keep on in prayer? that I will remember that word persevere, not just patient. This is where I lose hope, I forget truth, and all I see is exhaustion, unpredictability, and frustration. So, now I ask you, how much snow are you plowing? We've all come here with burdens. Some are greater than others. But we are a family. We are a church here. And we've called, we've asked, that, we've asked to be a praying church. I keep hearing that from all of you. So what is the snow that you have to deal with? What are the troubles that you face? Where do you lose hope? 
What in your life causes you for, to forget that all of this is temporary? And our hope is an eternal promise of life with our Savior. So how can we support you as a church? I can't just send you home right now and say, how much snow are you plowing? Go figure it out. So how can we support you? So I'm going to give you a chance to do that now. Trevor's going to come up. He's going to play a little bit. And we're just going to bow our heads in prayer. So if you'll bow your heads. Let's pray. Father God, this is my burden, and I know it's temporary. I know it's something that I can get through. I can fight through. But I miss you. And I want to be with you. And I know that there's people in our family here today that are hurting. And, and I don't know what those things are, but you do, Father. So I would just ask, Father, that you would give them the bravery to ask for prayer, to ask for support. And so if you're out there, keep, keep your heads down. If you're out there this morning and you've brought a burden with you, I promise I won't call you out. But if you've brought a burden here with you this morning, just raise your hand so you can be recognized. I see you in the front. I see you in the middle. I see you in the back. I need, I need some people that are willing to pray. Trish and Bob, can you get up and pray? Can you pray with some people for me? Can you pray with right here? Jane. Bob, can you pray with this couple right here? I saw hands. Who else? Who else? Tammy, can you pray, please? I know there's a few I'm missing. Darcy, Darcy, can you come up, please? in the back over here who else can I pray for this morning Mrs. Bart can you pray can you pray right now for who else This is an opportunity. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to feel like you're going to be called out. Like we are here for you.
with her friend. out there and I thank you that you have given us this lifeline to be connected to the truth of your son Jesus I pray that we would live in that I pray that we would be a church that is praying that we would not be afraid to share our burdens with one another give us that confident hope as we walk out here today a dark world. We lift you up, Jesus, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You all are dismissed, but you all don't have to leave. Like, you need prayer. Um, any elders that are still here, just come up front with me. If you're a pastor that's here, come up front with me. We would love to pray with you. We would love to meet you. Love you guys.